Guys, I'm going to go grab my coffee real fast. <clears throat> Oftentimes when teaching, you'll notice that teachers have like some kind of security blanket object. It's either coffee or a Nalgene or they fiddle with the ring or something like that. So mine is coffee. Yes. And I, I'm, I have the ability to say something really dramatic and then pause and take a sip of coffee to leave you with the, the weight and the drama of it. <clears throat> um, okay, so today and throughout the week, we're talking about, um, traditionally this week is called Hearing the Voice of God. Um, and uh, Joy and I have talked about this because Joy usually teaches this um, during DTS. And I am unashamed to admit that she is my sensei, my rabbi. She has taught me so much about this and um, just blessed me with a lot of her content. But um, I really think that pressing into this week in prayer and um, just in anticipation for you guys, I really hope to illuminate to you something that you've already experienced. Um, hearing the voice of God is not necessarily something that um, a seminar or a master class on teaching you how to, how to tune to the right radio station. Um, what I want to tell, talk to you guys this week about is um, how to recognize the voice that's already coming at you. So to start, um, I want to just kind of give you my testimony and um, talk about my relationship with this topic, um, talk about my relationship with the Lord and how that developed. Um, with this slide, I had the stock photo on it for the longest time, and it was I was really close to just using it because I thought it was cool, but I'm like, that's not a Fitzgerald person. I can't use that on the picture. So I tr tried to find like a little F, little family crest looking thing. So um, I just want to tell you guys a little bit about my story. I grew up a pastor's kid, PK. And I remember there was this moment where my dad, I remember, I must have been so young. I, my dad came up to me and he knelt down at my level and I remember we were at a family friend's house, and he goes, um, did you know that God is everywhere? And he said it with, like, so much affection from a father, you know, like, like he wanted to see me, my eyes go wide, and he wanted to hear me gasp, I think. And, um, and I said, are you serious? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, even there? And I, like, pointed down the hallway and, and looked down. And I remember, I was thinking about this last night even, like, I remember looking down the hallway and all of a sudden, it didn't look like a hallway. It looked like a dwelling place for God. You know, like when, when my dad told me that, I was like filled with so much wonder and filled with so much like um, joy at the idea of like God being in that hallway. I was just blown away by that. And I think that really kicked off a, a, um, a journey in my spirit to discover the wonder of God, the wonder of Yahweh. And um, hearing the voice of God and recognizing the voice of God is really um, something that challenged me when I first came to do DTS because of the church background that I grew up in. But it also um, enticed me because, of, because it, it's, it came into that hallway moment. 
right? This idea of, okay, God is not, you know, it's like Solomon says when he's dedicating the temple, right? Solomon says that they do this giant dedication, and Solomon goes, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but Lord, we know that you're not in this temple. And that hallway moment for me was like, whoa, the Lord is beyond the temple. And his voice is beyond the pages of, of scripture, right? Um, so growing up, I grew up in a, in a church background where hearing the voice of God was something that the crazy Bethel people did. And, um, and uh, God was only speaking through scripture. Um, and it really developed in me. I think I have some points here. Um, really developed a lot of these presuppositions I had about God that, okay, so if he doesn't speak to me, um, like I read about him doing in scripture, he, was, he must not be personal. Um, and that was my conclusion. You know, that was my conclusion with a lot of different factors as, just, as a child. Um, God was, you know, hidden in the old pages of, a, of an old book. And as a consequence, he did not speak. And passion is bad. That was my conclusion. Um, another conclusion I had growing up was, you know, we're dealing with holiness here, right? That means no laughing or smiling. Holiness means quiet down. Um, and I'm coming at you with this um, not to, like, accuse my family. And I'll go into this in a second. Um, you know how you, you can come to a lot of conclusions through a lot of different input, right? It's not that, that, um, that you know, my family or my church really hammered these home. It's just that these are the things that developed in me. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about um, just as, as a, one, just to kind of celebrate where I come from and, and where my ideas of hearing, hearing the voice of God, recognizing the voice of God come from. Um, but I called my dad the other day. Because I wanted to give you guys a little bit of backstory about me, about my family. Um, and this might not have to do with recognizing the voice exactly, but I thought this might be a good opportunity to share my testimony a little bit. And uh, I called my dad and I said, hey, what are Fitzgerald values that have been passed down that we have? And one of the things he said was like, uh, well, at first he said, sense of humor. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But I didn't know what to do with that, really. Uh, but then he said, like, just the Lord's faithfulness. And um, I love that because, you know, I think about my grandpa. My grandpa was a detective, which is so cool. <laughs> you know, like, I just imagine him with, like, a pipe and, like, like a big old coat with a huge collar, like, walking through the streets and it's raining. Somebody somewhere is playing the saxophone. Somebody somewhere is doing crime that he's going to stop. And uh, he um, was kind of a rough dude, just kind of based on what I've heard, um, being in law enforcement, right? That kind of develops a little bit of emotional callus, a little bit of um, distance, a little bit of, um, of uh, difficulty emoting. And I think that... Um, it's funny to hear my dad talk about my grandpa now, and he says, oh, yeah, your grandpa was hilarious. And um, I, it hit me that that 
was something that probably occurred after he got saved. And I think that's such a beautiful thing is like the joy of the Lord, like kind of entering into my family. Because I believe it's so important to like really look at like how the Lord's been faithful with generations, how the Lord's been faithful with with your family um, and where you develop some of your values and how the Lord's been pursuing you um, through generations to come. So one of the things I love and what I wanted to share with you is that um, the Lord's been so faithful to like rescue and redeem the men in my family from um, just from, uh, you know, alcoholism and um, things that, that uh, just, just uh, are anti-family, right? And have come and injected the joy of the Lord to preserve family. And I think that um, back to my hallway experience, the joy of the Lord and wonder is something that I'm always after. It's something that I'm always pursuing because I think that's, those are the things that last, Right? Think about wonder. These are the things that endure beyond all trial, beyond all circumstance. So I want to begin with giving you guys a little bit of an overview. So today, hopefully, we'll talk about... um, what I'm, what I'm titling The Thing Itself, okay, which is, it comes from a quote that I'm going to read you. And um, let's get cosmic, okay? Um, and uh, we're going to talk about how God talks through creation. And, uh, and we'll get to the rest later. But those are the things that we're going to talk about today. So let's start by talking about how God is communicative by nature. Um, I would like to read to you this quote from, anybody read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis? Did you? Really? Okay. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to read, it's kind of a big chunk of a quote, but I think it just captures the heart of maybe even the whole week of what I want to talk about. So um, we're going to read this, and I'm going to read it slowly so we can really understand it. So the scene is uh, a ghost has just been granted access to the heavenly realms. And this ghost is having a conversation with a redeemed person, with an angelic being or um, a redeemed person. And they're having a conversation about creativity. So the ghost says, I should like to paint this, looking at the, at the heavenly lands. I wouldn't bother about that just at present, if I were you, replied the spirit. Look here. Isn't one going to be allowed to go on painting? Looking comes first, but I've had my look. I've seen just what I want to do. God, I wish I'd thought of bringing my things with me. The spirit shook his head, scattering light from his hair as he did so. That sort of thing's no good here, he said. What do you mean, said the ghost. When you painted on earth... At least in your earlier days, it was because you caught glimpses of heaven in the earthly landscape. The success of your painting was that it enabled others to see the glimpses too. But here you are about to have, sorry, but here you are having the thing itself. It is from here that the messages came. There is no good telling us about this country, for we see it already. In fact, we see it better than you do. Then there's never going to be Any point in painting here? I don't say that. When you've grown into a person, it's all right. We all had to do it. 
There'll be some things which you'll see better than anyone else. One of the things you'll want to do will be to tell us about them, but not yet. At present, your business is to see. Come and see. He is endless. Come and feed. There was a little pause. That will be delightful, said the ghost presently in a rather dull voice. Come then, said the spirit, offering it his arm. How soon do you think I could begin painting? It asked. The spirit broke into laughter. Don't you see you'll never paint at all if that's what you're thinking about? He said. What do you mean? Asked the ghost. Well, if you're interested in the country only for the sake of painting it, you'll never learn to see the country. But that's just how a real artist is interested in the country. No, you're forgetting, said the spirit. That was not how you began. Light itself was your first love. You loved paint only as a mean of telling about life. So that's a, that's a passage from C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce. And what really strikes me about this passage is that um, it affirms this idea of the thing itself, right? Um, we, as created beings, in all that we do, in all that we create, are, are reflecting the thing itself. But I want to, um, in context with recognizing the voice of God, um, that hearing the Lord speak to you is a phenomenon of the thing itself. Engaging with God directly is possible. It's actually possible to have encounters with him that, that, um, that move beyond the reflections that we see. Um, you know, I think that we, hearing the voice of God is a topic that brings out a lot of assumptions in us. Um, you know, like I was talking about my church background, your church background, there's, there's a lot of, of uh, questions that, that hang in the air about hearing the voice of God. What's it like? Are you saying that um, you can say anything and say it was God? Like, what do you mean? You know, that's how cults start. That's, that's you know. Um, but I want to point out that we all have a history in this topic in some way or another. And whether we're even cognizant of it or not, we've all kind of tread this turf before, right? Um, some of us, you know, may encounter presuppositions gathered by our time in a church context, uh, or maybe things you've heard on YouTube videos, or maybe you don't even have any idea of where to even begin with, with uh, engaging with this kind of topic, right? Um, but I want to unify us in a hope right now, okay, if that's all right. I want to unify us in an objective for the week. Um, my hope is that we can step into the deeper knowing. This, this phenomenon of knowing Christ, of knowing the Lord, the uncreated God, the, the lover of our souls. Um, I want us to pursue a deeper knowing. And what I mean by that is kind of the idea of what C.S. Lewis brings forward in The Great Divorce is um, loving the thing itself, the person himself. Um, so I'd like to hear from you guys what are, and I'll write them on the board, what are some hopes that you have for this week? What are some concerns you have for this week? Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll leave it at that. My hope is to hear the voice of God. Yeah, okay, that's super straightforward. We want to hear... Have you um, 
had an experience like that where you where you've like heard the Lord speak in in prayer or anything? I bet you have. Yeah. And just stuff like that, but to hear like a distinct voice, I don't think I've ever heard that. Oh, yeah. You know what? I can tell you, I probably haven't heard that either, to tell you the truth. But that doesn't mean I haven't heard God's voice. Um, okay, so then I guess defining what is God's voice is another thing. Sure, yeah. That's what I hope to do. That's what I hope to unpack is, you know, there's a lot of ways that the Lord will interface with our hearts, right? And it's actually through a lot of different ways. Um, other than just an audible voice that sounds like Charlton Heston. <laughs> um, okay, what else? What other hopes and hang-ups, maybe? I want to hear God's voice better. Like, when I'm not specifically, like, sitting down and, like, I'm going to listen to God's voice, I want to, like, be out and about and hear God's voice, like, listen to his directions in my everyday life. Yeah, oh, yeah, we were talking about that during evangelism, just kind of, like, what did you say? You said on the fly, just like hearing God's voice, right? Like we were, yeah. we were talking about in evangelism. That's cool. So um, that's good. Daily hearing or just more frequent. Does that, does that kind of sum up what you were saying? Or am I getting it wrong? Oh. Okay, so that's good. Yeah. Momentary, yeah. Momentary attention. How about? All the time, anytime, whatever. Middle of the night, sure. Middle of the night. <laughs> that's cool. Bailey, do you have anything? Yeah. Oh, somebody else brought it up. Yeah, she, the one, I, I felt that, like, I felt that pulling on me, and mm-hmm. I actually brought it up in prayer, so I was, like, kind of like, what is this? Cool. But, like, I've had, like, instances like that where I've, like, you know, had, some, like, a feeling necessarily, like, when I, like, like, there was a time where I, like, had to comfort my friends, and, like, the words that they need to hear just, like, but I've never actually directly, like, heard his voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do I sum that up? I don't need to. How, I guess I'm imagining yeah. how to decipher whether it's God speaking or yourself speaking. Oh, that's good. So just discernment, spiritual discernment. Okay. I want to um, keep these up on the board like throughout the whole week. 
so that anytime we're on a topic or something and um, we can see how we can maybe try to address these things as we move forward, okay? Um, so I want to talk about this deeper knowing, right? I was talking that before. Um, we want, our, my hope um, for this week is to not learn things about God, but to legit know God, right? Um, knowing for the sake, you know, this is what C.S. Lewis is talking about. Um, knowing God for the sake of knowing and nothing else, that's what we want, right? Not, not coming to him with some kind of agenda. And hearing the voice of God is ultimately about clarifying our relationship with him. In scripture, um, so this might be something worth writing down. It's about clarity. God speaking is a phenomenon of clarity. Um, every time God speaks, it's you know, to either set terms of a covenant relationship or to guide his people to walk faithfully according to what he has already said. So it's always unto clarity, for the sake of clarity. So I want to talk about some assumptions we might have about God, about hearing the voice of God. You know, we might have varying conclusions about the nature of God, even here in this room. Um, some of them are probably right, and some of them are probably wrong. And it's a joy to be in a discipleship community and discover which ones are which. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Abraham. Abraham had assumptions about God. His culture that he was coming from was extremely pagan. And what I mean by pagan is that there were, um, basically to sum it up, it was polytheistic. The gods were very distant and um, not communicative, okay? Um, so Abraham had assumptions about God according to his culture. Um, so, okay, imagine that you're Abraham and you're in this position where you hear from all these people that, you know, somebody's um, making an offering to the moon temple over here and um, these gods are extremely distant and removed from the human narrative. And then you read in Genesis 12 when Abraham hears the voice of God speak and say, go to a land I will show you. Um, this is an insane... If we, th if we think about this deeply, this is a really profound moment of God entering into a narrative and speaking to somebody who might, have a comp might not have any kind of paradigm of what um, interacting with this God might be. You know, at this point, Abram probably didn't even know, this is kind of speculation, but Abram probably didn't even know that it was Yahweh. It was probably just some some. Uh, God of the household, maybe, he might have thought. Um, the kind of ancient Sumerian worldview is that there were patron gods of the house. Um, isn't that kind of crazy to think about? Like if Ab Abram was kind of minding his own business, and then boom, we have this amazing like encounter with Yahweh. Abram probably thought it was like his patron god. Um, it could be said. Um, 
but here's, here's my point in this. God speaks to us using our understanding, and then he proceeds to contrast them as he reveals himself further. Contrast our misunderstanding by revealing himself further. So God stepped into Abram's narrative and spoke to him, but all he gave them was this commandment, right? And Abram's faith was what started this whole journey of Yahweh beginning to reveal himself to his people. The voice of God that spoke to Abram uh, set in motion a conversation that really broke away the understanding forever that God is far away. Like, think about that for a second. Like, we're in this place where um, an author that I read recently referred to this worldview as a cyclical worldview, something that is circular, that um, there's no conception of personal destiny. There's no concept of of personal trajectory in this worldview um, because we're stuck on this merry-go-round of of reenacting the heavenly drama, right? Um, And... Yahweh, for the first time, steps into the story and gives an individual a purpose and a trajectory. And it started with him speaking directly to Abram. Um, So human beings are no longer lost to spin forever in this cyclical and desperate journey of interacting with heaven. So there's there's something new that's occurring, right? So what I'm trying to do is start from the beginning and just show you that God is immediately, he's communicative by nature. It's in his very being to speak with people. It's in his very being to interact with his beloved. So knowing about a thing, we know this, that we've been talking about, knowing about a thing only gets us so far into understanding. Um, Abram might have had some inkling or understanding of, of varying interactions with gods. But Yahweh broke through the barriers and, and became the thing itself. He became the God beyond the temple, the God beyond the mountain, the God beyond the stars. Um, think about this. Somebody can chat your ear off about Yosemite and how amazing the, the granite walls of the valley are. Uh, but until you step into the valley yourself, you're, you're going to um, have a misunderstanding of the beauty of the valley. Um, so there's an invitation to us to engage with the thing itself, um, uh, just like stepping into Yosemite after hearing about it for, for, for a long time. Um, it, it, in a way, it's, it's completing the testimony. It's completing the understanding. Think about, still on this topic of knowing the thing itself. Think about what Jesus said about the scholars of his day, right? In John 5, he says, You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. And you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus here is not dismissing the scriptures as an illegitimate as an illegitimate source of revelation. You know what I mean by that? But he's saying that they testify about me. In the same way that the testimony of Yosemite 
is different than the tour of Yosemite. You see that? So there is a phenomenon of communication with God that um, goes beyond the testimony. <clears throat> Think about a relationship, right? The whole business of being in a relationship with anybody is, is a conversation. Um, the whole business of being in a relationship with Jesus is more than subscribing like a YouTube channel to a worldview that answers all your questions about the world rightly. Right? Like if I was a Christian only because I, I had some, it, it satisfied me intellectually, um, my faith would not last that long. You see what I mean by that? Like there's, and, and we've all experienced this. We just had worship where we were just like, we were just marveling at the relationship that we have with God. Um, and then when you contrast that with the cold heavens of the pagan worldview with, with no father heart, with, with um, no love to speak of, um, and um, just rotating on this wheel of, of monotony, um, we have this Yahweh stepping in saying that we can have relationship with him. Um, and it, so it goes beyond um, having a worldview that we like. Um, we want to, man, we want to enter into this communion with like a loving, breathing, bleeding, Emmanuel dwelling God, right? Um, so we got to step into the deeper knowing. This is going to be the, just warning you, this is going to be the thing I'm going to harp on like the whole week. This is going to be the thing that we're going to orbit, okay? Like um, when I want to talk about recognizing the voice of God, and we will talk about, you know, tips and ways that we can um, recognize and discern. Who, who pointed out discernment? Jordan, that's awesome. Um, that's a huge spiritual discipline. And, and uh, think about this. I'll talk about this for a second. Like sometimes we think that spiritual disciplines don't require practice because they're spiritual and not physical. You ever caught yourself thinking that before? Sometimes we think spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines don't require practice because they're spiritual. Like think about uh, CJ's intercession thing. When we first did intercession, right? That, that was like practicing, focusing on praying. And you get better at it the more you do it. And the same applies for discernment. The same applies to prayer and um, recognizing the voice of God. It takes legit right. practice. Um, and practice is not off limits in the spirit. Yeah. So we want the true knowing. Um, and knowing comes from conversation. Right? We want to have the conversation. Um, so let's look at this. My first point here, if you want to, if you in your notes kind of want to do segment titles or whatever, if that's kind of how I like to do it. Uh, God is communicative by, by nature. It's in his being to communicate. And we're going to look at two examples. Uh, one, did I make a slide for this? Yes, okay. Two examples. We're going to look at creation and Mount Sinai. These are both moments of communication. So let's look at 
Creation. We've talked about this a little bit before, how creation uh, gained its form through spoken word, right? And God said, let there be light. So God spoke these things into existence. Um, In Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. You guys ever wondered about that? The, The plural nature of that statement? Oh, that's great. I'm glad I could illuminate that for you. Yeah, it, is, it says, let us make man in our image. What do you think that means? What, what chapter is it? It's the chapter, one. chapter beginning. Okay, yeah. So was he referring himself as the Trinity the whole time? Okay, so that's one, that's one interpretation. Let's, okay, so it could mean Trinity which is kind of bananas, right? Um, that God is, is <laughs> has some kind of split personality disorder, maybe. No, that's not what it, that's not what it is. Um, what else do you think it could be? There's another, there's another idea that I'm, that I'm wanting to see. Okay, yeah, so with the angels, or what some people would say, um, uh, Tim Mackey at the Bible Project refers to this as the divine council. I don't know how to spell council. Council. What was your question? I'm sorry. I was asking you what the Bible Project's on, so I've never seen it. Do you guys refer to it? Oh, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I don't know if I want to tell you because it'll make me, all the content I bring to you afterwards, you're just going to be like, Joe's just ripping them off. (laughs) No, that's not true. No, 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 it's okay. I'm just kidding. It's it's on, uh, there's an app called The Bible Project, and then there's a bunch of, it's a YouTube channel, and then they have podcasts also, which is where I think most of the juice is. Yeah, they do their podcasts, and then afterwards they, they talk about, um, like the videos and stuff that they make are like summaries of the podcast. Um, so they're really good. But yeah, so we got this idea of the Trinity and the Divine Council. What do both these things have in common? God is the center of them? Okay, yes. God is the center of them, yeah. Yeah, they're both, yeah, you're getting at it. They're both plural. Yeah, both are spiritual beings, but both both tell us that God was not alone. That God, before even creation happened, was communicating, right? Either he had perfect communion with himself um, or he had perfect communion with himself and the divine council or some kind of created. So what I'm trying to illuminate to you guys here is that there was always... Um, perfect satisfaction in relationship with God, that he's a relationship-oriented being um, before we even existed to grant him that, okay? So he's wired, based on what we know in Scripture and what this is revealing, that God functions in the economy of relationship. Like, everything he does is is that way. Um, And... uh, 
that tells us a lot about how he will continue to interact with us in the future, right? So the whole enterprise of creation was centered around communion. And what I mean by communion is not the thing we do every month. It's, it's relationship, communing, right? Reclining at the table. Um, so now we have, so God said, let us make man in our image, okay? And then boom, man was made in their image. Um, what do you think are some elements of image bearing? Because the reason I'm asking you this is because CJ kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, elements of image bearing. So when we say we're image bearing people, people that bear the image of God, what do you think that means? We can open it up to the scripture too and read it. So God created man in his own image. Yeah. Just in the Genesis narrative. Yeah, so you're saying that um, image bearing is is a kind of way for God to be known in yeah. greater ways and satisfying his yes. relational yeah. nature. Yes. <laughs> Reflection of the Lord, yeah. I like, yeah, go ahead. We do what we see God doing. Yeah. Imitate his work. Imitate his work. Yeah, and that kind of goes into the stewardship thing we were talking about. Um, yeah, it's so good. And all of these kind of, when we imitate what he's doing, we're engaging in a relationship with him. We're, we're, um, and right away, like, like CJ, your point sometimes is that, that Adam began to do things that he just like inherently saw God do. God was naming things, so he just started naming animals, right? Because that's what he does. Um, and uh, it's this kind of mirror. Um, and all these kind of coalesce into this major point that I want to make that we are also relational beings. And I know this is kind of simple, but it really just lays the groundwork for moving forward um, is, okay, we're talking about recognizing the voice of God. We're talking about hearing the voice of God. Um, does he sound like Charlton Heston? Does he sound like, what does he sound like? Does he have a deep, or Morgan Freeman? That's another one that we've heard. Um, what is his, how, what's the deal? But just to start off, I want to make it clear to you that relationship and communion and coexisting is in the very fabric of our relationship with God. It, it is the major thing that, that makes him who he is, his character point, and it's a major thing that makes us who we are. The first thing that God said was not good was that man be alone. Okay, so relationship is extremely important.
This morning, I did one of uh, It's funny that I did it this morning. I wrote a song called Walk With You. It was the first song that we did. Um, and I really like it because it has this cool, like, 6-8 Tennessee whiskey, like, kind of bop to it. And uh, I wrote it because I was meditating on um, what was lost and separation and what is gained now through the Holy Spirit. Um, and it harkens back to this phenomenon of relationship, this, this miracle of, of a God that is um, walking with his people in the cool of the day, right? That there's this crazy imagery of like, and this is after the fall that, that describes God actually walking through the garden, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, but I think it just sums up like this hope that we we want to have for the thing itself, which is I want to walk with you in the cool of the day. And this is what hearing the voice is like. It, it's not just knowing about him. It's knowing him. Um, and it just builds our faith. It boosts our faith. Um, so again, I just want to unify us in this, in this agenda. I want to unify us in this goal to know the thing itself. Um, and also, you guys, this is the heart cry of God as well. Uh, we share the same ache of relationship that he does. It's in his very nature to communicate, to reach out to the heart of his prized creation and form us with his voice. So we know that his voice brought form to the formless. Um, and he speaks to us to, in a way, bring form to what's formless in our hearts, right? There is uh, some kind of storm or turmoil, some kind of um, confusion on how to interact with the Lord. And him speaking is setting the terms, clarifying, what is this relationship like? Um, So let's go ahead and take a break there. And we will continue on. And I want to talk a little bit more on this topic of clarity, which is kind of the first first attribute of God's voice. Let's let's put it that way for the sake of your notes. A connection. Wow. That was really good. Okay, okay. So let's talk about clarity in a cyclical world. Remember when I was talking about how the Worldview of the the um, ancient um, Near Eastern people was what I would like to define as like a circle. Okay, um, it was like this idea of like we are all on this merry-go-round, reenacting this like heavenly drama that we see, and the moon comes up and it goes back down, and we die, and we just enter the wheel again, and we're just. We're just on this thing. Um, so in light of that, I want to keep that on the back burner, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. But let's look in Exodus. Um, there's an account of, of God speaking that would just baffle the mind of the ancient reader. Um, a man in the presence of glory speaking with a God face to face. So I want to focus on that, face to face. 
face-to-face invokes this idea of incomparable directness. It is so direct, as direct as you can get. So imagine you are a little Israelite, and you're at the foot of Mount Sinai after just being rescued from uh, the Egyptian lands that um, have this cyclical worldview that I'm talking about. Um, multiple gods, none of them friendly. Um, all of them, <laughs> all of them um, have some kind of agenda for you to be their servant. And in your endless offerings, there is a, not a promise of relent of wrath, but a, a hint. Um, okay, and now you're coming from that place and you're at the foot of Sinai and there is just radical display of smoke and fire and shaking earth. And um, they see, or you see, okay, for the sake of this illustration, you see this Moses guy go up into the cloud and he's gone for 40 days. That's kind of crazy to think about because you're probably like, that dude died. <laughs> that dude died immediately, right away. You guys have only been here for like 20 days. So that's how long Moses died. Yeah, it's longer than your DTS has been so far. Um, they probably just moved on. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you know what they did? They did move on. They made the golden calf. <laughs> yeah. Um, so imagine you saw that, and then um, later we get the written account of this, and it says that Moses was speaking and in the presence of glory, speaking to God face to face. And remember at this point, it's not God. It's a God to them. That's something we often forget. To them, it's some new stranger God that Moses introduced. Um, um, And what I want to make clear is that this face-to-face God is just dismantling any idea that we would have about um, the distant gods, right? So... It's clarifying the relationship with face-to-face. A concrete, indisputable reality to reinforce that Yahweh deals in clarity. Um, You know, I mean, like we've been talking about, the ancient practices of this time could hardly, hardly be given the, be credited the word clarity, right? The primary way of God's, getting God's attention in this time was a kind of, um, desperate, repetitive, circling mantra that may or may not appease the wrath of these gods. Um, and also, by the way, in the, in the fine print, it requires child sacrifice and orgies. Um, and then Yahweh shows up. And it's way different. Thomas Cahill, in this book that I love, I've been talking about it nonstop with C.J., Um, he has a chapter, it's called The Gift of the Jews, and he's talking about this. This is where I get this idea from, the the cyclical world. Um, And he talks about, he goes into this like excruciating detail about what a moon temple in this time would look like. Um, And uh, I'll actually spare you from that spine tingle. It's it's really spooky. 
Um, it's not October yet. Um, but in order to fully grasp the miracle of Sinai, this miracle of face-to-face, um, we should understand, the, the, honestly, the confusion and, and the desperation surrounding the standard practices of worship in this time. Um, I mean, just to take this point further, think of the moon with the mind of an ancient Near Eastern farmer for a second, okay? What are some, like, the things that would probably come to mind is it's big. Sometimes it's gone. (laughs) It changes size. Why is it broken? (laughs) And then whole again. Uh, It looks like it's watching me. That's something CJ said the other day. Um, So when describing the thought patterns of early religious thought, Thomas Cahill says this. He says, a vision of the cosmos that was profoundly cyclical. In other words, nothing is unique, and we are caught in a cycle of service to the cold-hearted, uncaring, eternal. That's, That's the environment that Yahweh is stepping into, right? And what do you think the most effective tool to cut into the heart of, of, that's been steeped in that worldview would be. Right on topic of what we're talking about. Personal God. Personal God and direct communication. Right? That's what he did with Abram. That's what he did um, in Eden. And that's what he's doing here on Sinai. Um, face-to-face, we sing songs about this all the time. Face-to-face is a miracle. It's It's... It's an insane idea that, that the Bible is giving to us, saying that, one, this God is unlike any gods that you've ever thought could God, and two, um, his, he's revealing his face. And in the ancient world, the face of somebody is the glimpse into their personhood. Okay? So this is more than God, um, you know, we can speculate all day long if Moses was actually looking at a physical face of God. Okay, and I'll just say that. But the point is, is that there was an intimate character reveal to Moses that took place on Sinai um, that is rearranging the way that we interface with God. Personhood, yeah, personality. Um, it also says uh, face-to-face like a friend, which adds wood to the fire in a really big way. Um, relationship, conversation, communion are what make God holy. So in this narrative that we're looking at, there's this idea of um, God making himself holy. Remember I said that God introduced himself with a voice to Abram, and Abram probably had no idea who, what kind of God this is. It, must, it could have been like this household guardian angel type of God. That's the way he probably saw it. Oh, my guardian angel has given me a commandment. This has never happened before. And here's what I think, too. This is probably why that it says that his faith is what made him righteous, like what kind of the, the strength of that kind of faith. And he was rewarded with an understanding of who Yahweh is actually. He was rewarded with revelation of his character because he listened to the voice. Um, 
And these are the things that make him holy, right? He's in this narrative of Eden, Abraham, and Sinai. God is setting himself apart. And the way he's doing that is by saying, I enter in into conversation with my people. The other gods don't. So his relationship, his um, communion and conversation are what make him holy. And think about holiness. We, we, sometimes we think about holiness as uh, shiny or like just really, really good and, and pure, right? Purity. Um, and you probably hear lots of speakers talk about this. Holiness is better defined as just set apart, different, other than everything else. And isn't it amazing, and we take this for granted all the time, that communication with God is interfacing with his holiness, right? He's, a, he's, he's set apart because of, because of his, him even bothering to speak with us. Psalm talks about what it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Like, I think we would greatly increase our prayer life if we meditated on that psalm, what is man that you are mindful of him, and, and understood the miracle that is communion, that is conversation. Back to the thing itself. Remember that, that C.S. Lewis quote. Um, we're looking here in, in Exodus and on Sinai that Moses is dealing with the thing itself, right? There's no priest there's no temple, there's no veil standing between God and Moses. It's his glory in Moses. And that's all that there is. And it is insane. Um, and that's what we want. We want that, that thing itself, right? Um, another point I'd like to make is that God's ways are not... Okay, this, here's, okay hold on. This is one of the things that that is a statement that doesn't have a lot of exit signs and it's, it's just very, it's tweetable, okay? But I hope you hear me on this. God's ways are not mysterious, okay? Um, and I bet you some, anybody who's listening to this or even in this room, you're like, but, but he's God. How can, how can I know everything? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that God is a God of clarity and he's, he's making himself known. Man speaks with God face to face. Um, have you ever heard somebody say, God's ways are mysterious? God's ways are mysterious. I feel like, I feel like it's more like his powers are mysterious. Rather than sure, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to differentiate it. It's like, yeah, we don't know how all this works. Um, I feel like it's in a way, when people say God's ways are mysterious, they're sweeping away some like yes. Yeah, that's totally, that's when it's most commonly used, that phrase. It's like, when I don't understand, instead of asking, or even bothering to ask, mm-hmm. um, I just say God's ways are mysterious. I mean, think about like Job. And I don't want to harp on like suffering too much or anything. That's not my point. But like, Job was pretty vocal about his questions. And he kind of assumed that there was going to be some kind of dialogue that was going to happen after the tragedy that happened to him, right? Um, you know, when people say this, I, I know that they mean well. You know, it's like, it's, you know, it's meant with goodwill, and it's true in some way. I mean, he's God, and we're not. 
That's, that's, like, that's pretty obvious. Um, but in this narrative of Exodus and of speaking and of knowing the thing itself, the clear truth, um, especially early on in the Bible, is that God's will and his attitude, or to- attitude towards us is not mysterious. That's the whole agenda of like all the early covenants is unveiling the nature of Yahweh. God's will and his attitude towards us is not mysterious. It's clear and it's knowable. What chapter in Exodus? Um, it is in... Exodus 33.11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Hebrews suggests that the very thing that kept the Israelites from entering their rest, um, which is like entering the promised land, was that they did not know his ways. That was, that was the element of their failure, was a misunderstanding of God's ways. Um, and knowing God's ways depends entirely on him revealing it to us, right? It's not about us. Here's the difference between these two worldviews, to, to go even deeper into this. There's the yawning infinite, naked heaven above us, and it's full of mysteries and, um, and betrayal and um, drama. And we, as pitiful worms and those who dwell in clay huts, uh, are trying to break through the veil and understand a little bit of what's going on. And it's, and it's through this um, spilling of blood and repetitive prayers. And uh, it's just like desperate. It's like, imagine just like this banging on the door, knock, 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 like just trying to understand what's going on. Um, and that is this direction, right? That's us moving into trying to break through the, the barrier of heaven and understand. What Yahweh's doing is the opposite, coming down from the mountain and revealing himself by his word, okay, um, in many different forms. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's what a gift. And you can see how that plays into the difference between law and grace. You see that phenomenon there? Even just, we're, we're like barely two, two books into the Bible so far. And we see this idea of in my misunderstanding and death, this God is breaking through the, narr- in, in the narrative and into mine and revealing more of himself, unveiling more of himself by his word. Um, so knowing his ways is a gift that he reveals to us. And knowing his ways is something that prompts obedience and rest, right? So hearing the voice of God is something that actually brings us life. Hearing the voice of God is something that actually produces a tangible flourishing in our lives um, that goes beyond, like, any kind of boasting, right? Um, So his ways are not mysterious. And praise God that they're not, right? We'd be so lost without him revealing these things to us. Um, so I want to ask you guys a couple of questions, and let's have a let's have a dialogue, okay? I'm sick of talking at you. Uh, how do you think 
these principles that we're talking about would affect our prayer life. Yeah, we're talking about clarity. We're talking about how he reveals himself and we don't reveal him, I guess. You know, we don't work that way against Mm -hmm. the current. Um, And there's direct communication available. And the question was, how would these principles... How would it affect your prayer life? I think it's more knowing that, like, whatever you're praying for, God already has an answer for it. And, uh, like, answer and it's already been done. You just have to, like, hear it because God's already speaking down towards you, which is more of a help and to pray. Yeah. I like thinking about how, in that vein, there is a rest there, yeah. a rest knowing, like, knowing that there his way. He always wants to reveal his ways, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it's his very nature to to desire to be known. That's like that's the whole point of covenants. That's the whole point of like just this whole narrative of scripture for the redemption, so that you know. There's all these verses in the Old Testament that says, you know, after it lays out all these laws, and, and it's like this, like, and then you will be my people and I will be your God. Like, that's, that's just like the, the hum of hope in, behind all these laws, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in my prayer life, like, I love what you said, like, um, coming before him not with, like, this, this like, kind of, desperation to like call down something but to know that it's like his ways and his revelation is aimed at us already mm-hmm. right yeah, yeah. It, it takes the pressure off of trying to like discern his will you know yeah or it takes the distrust yeah of trying to discern his will yeah to, like think that god is withholding yes clear instruction from yes him. yeah yeah because because why would he right it's if, if, if his desire is for, for us to follow his commandments and to obey, then how would we do that? He is, wants to reveal it. He wants to tell us. It's like a, you said, like, the Israelites weren't allowed to enter the promised land because they didn't know his ways. Yeah. But he made his ways known to them. Yes, right. They, they yeah. Had the, they had the keys to success. Yeah. They just didn't open the door. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's already revealed. Any other thoughts on that? If God wants to talk to us and he wants to reveal his, um, his heart and his ways, then all we have, really have to do is listen instead of trying to like yeah. beg for him to talk to us. Yeah. Dude, when's the last time your prayer time looked more like listening and not talking at him? Yeah. Just like wait for him, like like wait for him in expectancy. Not yeah. not not waiting for him. Like if he'll talk to me, it's more of like I know you're gonna talk to me. Yeah. I'm just like hearing you now. Yeah. I think that's one. I feel like a very big help to pray. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so hard to just be quiet for a long time. Right. I was gonna say. Yeah.
Cool. Yeah. Yeah. You you might touch on this too, mm-hmm. but like just like I think it's very important to hear from God. Like you have to like not give in like everything you're holding on to. Like you can't be holding on to something and expect to hear from him. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting um thing because I think that <clears throat> idolatry which is essentially what that is, is, is definitely something that, that separates us from God. Yeah. Um, and I think that makes um, encountering him difficult, but I don't think it really silences him. I don't think it silences you know? him. I feel like it just more like silences, like, or you're more resistant to opening yourself up to right. Right, because if you have another lover, why would you want to yeah. hear from the person that you're in covenant with? Yeah. It's, it's about your, where your affections are aimed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point because it, it, when we look at God in the way that he reveals himself early on in the Bible, it, it very naturally challenges kind of in our life where we are kind of engaging with the noise, right? Engaging with the, um, we might not be in a pagan worldview, but we are in a worldview that in many ways is just uh, circular and just like in in terms of input. Yeah. Um, And that's why being silent before the Lord is so hard. Um, So I don't know. I I think that this, there's a lot of principles to draw out of this in, in regards to prayer, I think that's the first, when I was looking at this, is the first thing I thought of. Um, yeah. What do you guys think this reveals about God's character? That he just wants that personal relationship with us. Mm-hmm. That he, like, he wants the best for us. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the thing that I love about this is that it, it tells me that God isn't um, making a compromise on his nature to bother to speak with me. It's that he just, he wants to speak to me. Like, he wants to make his ways known. It's not like he's busy with something, and then he goes, oh, shoot, those guys got it wrong. Let me just, like, drop what I'm doing, move over here, clarify it real fast, and move back. Right? That's not, that's not the attitude of the heart of God. It's like all of himself is aimed at that. I think, like, when we were doing the Happy Holiness podcast, like, one of my favorite parts in that podcast was, like, uh, Lord Jason and Andy was just, like, kind of doing a little skit on, like, like when you choose to, like, uh, obey God and, like, not go into the temptation or make sin, like, God's, like, there, like, cheering and rooting for you. And, like, oh, so good, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so good. 
<sighs> Any other thoughts on this before we move on to another topic? God is patient. Yeah. Like, I find when I'm really seeking after God, the biggest thing that gets in my way is, like, myself. Yeah. Because I'll be seeking with, like, an ulterior motive or I'll be distracted and worry about what do I want or what people will think of me. And I just hearing about how God just wants to talk to me is, like, That's good. Yeah. That's true. It's so good. I think I just want to put this on the board for us. Um, oh, did I? <laughs> Behind my what? Oh, I just sabotaged myself big time. Uh, let's just do some goals for the week. Honestly, like, let's, let's commit to just, like, kind of um, putting ourselves in this position of prayer of just, like, listening. And like letting, letting that come at us and, and um, being quiet before the Lord. Yeah, put the quiet in quiet time. Oh, that's exciting. Okay, so summary. Let's kind of summarize what we talked about. Before we move on. God's will is clear and knowable. Example, Ten Commandments. Those are his ways. Right? That's like, that's God's, and it's, it's more than just the ways that God wants for his people. Like, if you look at each Ten Commandment, or each commandment, there's an attribute of God's character in each of those. Right? And so he's introducing, or I would even say recovering the image-bearing nature of a community through introducing the Ten Commandments, right? Oh, that's so good. Let me repeat that for the, for the podcast if you didn't hear. Um, N- not, yeah, do it. Uh, nothing is required of man that is not first required of God. Oh, bingo. That's good. Uh, Okay, so let's summarize. God is communicative by nature. and There's a great difference between knowing a thing and knowing about a thing. We want the true knowing, right? Like Moses face-to-face. That's that's what we want. Um, And I'm not talking about trying to manifest some synthesized show of glory. I'm talking about the hope of our hearts, right? Our hope in the DTS and the hope of the missionary is to know God, not just know about him, right? We don't want to be like the painter in C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce. We want to desire the thing itself. Um, And the whole business of being in a relationship with Jesus is about entering into communion with a loving, breathing, bleeding, interceding, Emmanuel God. Uh, There's no true knowing without first having a conversation and God is clear and noble. Okay. God's will is clear and noble. Um, I already asked you that. Okay. So we talked about how God wants to reveal his will and how he loves to talk with us. I'd like to open by reading this verse from Romans. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, 
so that people are without excuse. What a bananas claim. I've always actually, to tell you the truth, had, had trouble with this verse because I'm like, what's the point of missions? You know, I'm like, okay, everybody's without excuse. His will and his qualities are being made known in, in creation, and people should already know him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but remember when I said that God is in the business of clarifying himself? Yeah. That's another one of our image-bearing tasks, right? Clarifying the encounter that people have been having um, with creation. He's been speaking all along. That's why we're recognizing, not hearing for the first time, recognizing. Clearly seen, right? It says right here, clearly seen. Okay, I'm going to quote a a very, very, very intelligent theologian who has um, just really shaped the minds of a generation. Um, His name is Larry the Cucumber. Yes. Um, Upon being asked about the nature of the universe, Larry Cucumber is describing the creation of stars, and he says, God went, and there they were. And uh, that is... That has formed the way I view creation (laughs) since I was a child. (laughs) Um, In Sunday school, you know, we kind of developed this idea that God spoke and the created order just popped into being, fully realized in like a shiny new car. Um, But the account of Genesis um, in creation, it kind of seems to suggest this kind of like weaving, organizing, and miraculously expanding goodness. Like it's just this, there's this um, intimate, hands-on created thing um, with his voice that he spoke. Um, This voice is uh, a bigger deal than we think it is. It's not, as Larry Cucumber said, and there they were. Um, It actually, as heretical as this might sound, probably is more like a Big Bang. (laughs) Right? Um, and uh, even men who have no knowledge of scripture or super-duper rock-solid theology have noticed something in the stars in the heavens um, that I'd like to look at. So um, we're talking about, well, that's, we don't want to go there yet. Um, <laughs> um, so think about this. There's an account in our Bible of what I like to call star wizards. Can anybody think of what I mean by star wizards? In the Bible? In the Bible. Something called star wizards. Yes. Do you think you know what I mean? Are you talking about the three wise men? The three wise men, star wizards. They um, were not biblical scholars. They weren't, they probably didn't have a copy of the Torah or followed the Torah. Um, but they encountered the living God by observing the freaking depths of space. <laughs> and we know them as the wise men, and uh, I wish I had Christmas music to play. Um, no, Halloween, but first. Halloween first. Um, remember, um, you know, I've been talking about the deeper knowing, um, and I think the, these star wizards, man, these wise men... <laughs> I love calling them that so much, and I'll say it as much as I can. 
they were probably wiser than the Hebrew scholars in this moment, right? Uh, there's a quote from Jack Deere uh, that I got from Joy. Uh, I don't know where this quote is, and I actually don't necessarily even know who, who Jack Deere is, but I like this quote. Um, he says, the Bible scholars of the day never made it to the manger. Let that sink in for a second. Yeah. Everyone who got to the crib of Jesus had to be guided by something or someone greater than their own biblical knowledge. This is something that can get a little scary for us because I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not dismissing Scripture, right, as like, as like a point of revelation. But these wise men, man, like these star wizards, didn't have any understanding of Scripture. And there was something in the stars that they saw and they had an encounter. Uh, you can say it was the Holy Spirit or, or just the will of God that pointed them towards the manger of Christ. Um, but it was... Uh, outside of their biblical knowledge, okay? Um, we're not pursuing intellectualism, the thing itself, right? Told you I'd harp on it. Um, so it seems really true that in this verse that we really are without excuse. And there is legit encounter available to us if we just really dare to wonder, actually. Um, yeah, question. Did, did the star wizards, like, were they all together, or did they work from a different area and all came to one place? It seems like they were all together okay. in the narrative. I'm actually not... It says they come from the east. Yeah, um, I remember them being together. So usually the general idea is that they were, like, um, Arab astrologers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I just love that, right? We're looking for the real deal. No, too, too early. Um, okay, remember when I said earlier that wonder um, produces endurance? Oh, well, you should have been taking notes because I said it. Wonder just kidding. <laughs> Maybe I didn't say it that way, but I was, I was, I was talking about how wonder produces longevity in faith, right? Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you remember saying, I'm saying it now. <laughs> um, I really think, you guys, that cultivating, like, legit wonder and amazement in our walk and hearing the voice of God um, is what brings endurance in our Christian walk. Yeah. Um, I think this craving and wonder to like have this kind of encounter is so important for us. Um, let's look at, um, to look at this a little bit further, Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, um, and uh, let me see, I have the verse up here. Um, this is where we get the running the race thing. I'm so bad. I don't even put my addresses on here. I just copy paste the scripture. But I'll just read this. It's in 1 Corinthians somewhere. Um, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Um, run in such a way as to get the prize. Okay, there's our endurance piece. Run in such a way to get the prize, endurance. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. So he's using this, like, athlete imagery that's so cool. Um, 
They do it to get a crown that will not last. So he's saying all these, all these athletes around you in these Olympic games that you're seeing going on, they're all, they're all diligently training and fighting to endure through these games. Um, but they are doing it for something that's temporary, right? And he goes, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Um, and what I'll point out here is that Paul is saying to be mindful of the eternal, right? A crown that will last forever. So we got endurance and mindfulness of the eternal. It's uh, 9, 24 through 27. Got it. Uh, isn't, it, isn't it let us run with endurance and don't let the sins easily trip you up? It's like put a stone or something like that. I, that might be another thing. but The, the only reason why I remember that is because it was my uh, like main verse for our youth camp. I think it's wow. Like in Hebrews, that's what let us run with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... We have this, this, this phenomenon of like, okay, what is carrying me through this Christian walk right now is my hope in the eternal things, is my hope in the things beyond um, what I'm knowing now. Um, when we cultivate a mindfulness of eternal things, um, it produces endurance, and eternal things always produce hope. Um, I just really believe that, um, and this is admittedly for me difficult to quantize, right? It's difficult to actually kind of like capture and give examples of what that actually looks like. It's more of a heart posture of, of um, believing in the promises of Jesus and believing in the promises of what will, what will remain um, through wonder. Um, so my first point in, in this is, Wonder produces endurance. Um, and I think that's what Paul might be getting at in 1 Corinthians. Um, okay. You guys want to hear a fun fact? Yes. Scientists have come to some kind of consensus that the universe seems to be expanding. Cool. And also that there is a collection of overtones and sound waves ever present in the expanding cosmos. Even though there's no sound in space? Yes. Really? So even though at inception there was no sound, as the universe inflated instantaneously, the sound waves propagated as a result of the Big Bang. We'll call it that for now. Uh, as its source. So we have, this is, this is the consensus of the scientific world as of when I pulled these notes. Could have changed. Um, that there was this, first of all, trace back to a moment, a origin point, and there was a explosion of sound. And these sounds can still be um, traced and tracked. And as the, it's expanding, there is overtones and frequencies in the universe itself. That can be listened to. That can be listened to. We have speakers in here. Um, these astronomers, who are kind of like our modern-day wise men, so star wizards with iPhones. Um, Wayne Hu and Martin White uh, say this. Because inflation of the universe produced 
the density disturbances all at once in essentially the first moment of creation, the phases of all the sound waves were synchronized. The result was a sound spectrum with overtones much like musical instruments. Okay, so there is a spectrum of frequency and sound taking place simultaneously all at once and expanding. Um, also, some scientists are beginning to unearth evidence that the reason our brains are hardwired to react to different chords is because they are similar to the frequencies of the universe. Like specific chords? Or so certain tonal configurations, I'll say that. Okay. Um, minor chords sound sad. Major chords sound happy, right? Um, they, this scientists are kind of thinking that this might have something to do with the overtones of the universe, uh, which is neat, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, so think about this for a second. Next time you find yourself in a very boring and tired Friday morning worship time, and not that we have boring worship times, they all rock, yeah. um, especially when I lead. Uh, <laughs> and you're singing the bridge of Great Are You, Lord, for the freaking millionth time. Uh, you're harmonizing with the universe in some way. And more spectacularly, which is my point here, the voice of God. So I'd like to speculate before you with hope engines engaged with wonder thrusters turned on that these overtones that scientists are suspecting are coming from the universe is the residual voice of God of creation expanding through right now. The coolest scientific theory I've ever heard. I'm glad you like it because I do too. Um, so that kind of when you're singing that makes you like the sickest background singer in the freaking world. Oh, yeah. Like you're like, great are you, Lord. And then God's voice is like, <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> and, and there's just this rad harmony going on. Um. <laughs> God's voice is the sound of a bass. Yeah. A blown out bass. A blown out bass. Or like CJ and I like to speculate, a uh, sound, like a synth pad. I think God's voice sounds like a synth pad. Yeah, just just awesome. How about that one that you could put your, what you were telling us about? Oh, the theremin? Yeah. 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 No, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so what we're doing here is taking these scientific observations and, and biblical observation and kind of seeing if these, if these work. And I, I honestly just kind of have this imaginative, childlike, whoa. That might be true. That might be true. Um, so my goal in saying this is to stir up wonder in us, right? It's to stir up this like, oh my gosh, like the voice of God doesn't sound like Morgan Freeman, doesn't sound like Charlton Heston, and uh, who else did the voice of God in like uh, Prince of Egypt? Um, I don't know, Ben Affleck or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Yes, uh, what's his name, Jimmy something, Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Um, so I would like to do an exercise. Okay. 
CJ, could you turn on the sound system? Yeah, yeah. So people have been able to um, capture and harness the frequencies in the universe and actually transpose them down into uh, a detectable frequency. So we can actually hear it, what this sounds like. So I want you to seriously, like, just imagine like just how amazing and how big and how loving God is when you listen to this and just really just stir up your hearts to worship because this is really cool. Yeah. So take that experience and understand that that is like a grain of rice compared to God's majesty. And imagine the verse again that says, Moses spoke with God face to face as with a friend. And then recognize that that God uh, is loving and is compared to a father. Uh, And Recognize also that his mercy and his love and his communication is not divorced from his power. It's the same phenomenon. So allow for that power, man. When he wants to speak affirmation to you, when he wants to speak something loving over you, it's not a weak word. And it's not a flimsy word of the Lord. It's something that kind of rattles your teeth out. (laughs) And it's, it's just full of power and full of grace. I have on my notes here that 
something that makes me just so happy. And I sent this picture to my brother. It says, class exercise. Listen to the universe. And I was like, oh, I love my job. (laughs) So cool. It's so crazy. And like we're thinking about the voice and like my first point, attribute of the voice, right, was about clarity. It was about making the relationship understood. Um, And it's also creative, um, both physically and spiritually. Mm -hmm. Creates newness within you, right? Um, There's a scene in a Star Trek movie where they launch this like terraforming bomb and it like it shows this planet like being like like wiped over and it was desolate and then all these plants are like growing around the planet as like this like explosion goes past it and that's always what I imagine when I hear that it's just this going and going and going and creating and organizing and creating um, and bringing goodness to disorder and like think about that nature of the voice okay so it clarifies the relationship and it creates newness within us um when God says, let there be light, there was. Um, and most of us read that and we say, amen, Theolo- like stamp of approval. Um, but what about in our personal lives when um, there's some kind of brokenness or darkness in us and he says, let there be light in your heart. Um, and we're kind of like, I don't know, I, like I'm working on it. Yeah. His voice is creative and um, brings life. Oh, man. So we're going we're gonna to keep looking at examples of the way God speaks, but just still on this point of wonder and creation, um, I really want us, and my hope is to introduce us to recognizing God uh, reaching out through creation and, and uh, organizing still. Um, this is another one of those statements that I feel might leave um, some people with questions, but I really think, and I hope I'm understood in this, that there is no greater theology than wonder. I feel like it's, again, it's what lasts, it what, it's what um, keeps us coming back for more, recognizing that the mysteries of God are endless. Um, back to knowing the thing itself, like, Honestly, you guys, those who know about a thing are spectators, right? We don't want to be spectators. We want to be sons and daughters, right? Um, Man, like those those who dare to wonder, um, there's legit life when he speaks. Um, Okay. Let's look at another example of, man, my staples are dying. Um, Another example of God speaking through creation uh, this, on the left, is a picture of a stained glass window in, um, uh, where is that? I don't know where, where that is. Um, it says Yorkminster. I don't know where that church is. 
But anyways, it's a famous stained glass window. Um, on the right is a, a view along the vertical axis of a DNA. Human DNA. And uh, there's just a striking similarity there, isn't there? Like, it just looks very similar. Is all, or is there an all of embryos taken by strangers and other living humans can try? Stained glass windows represent? Yes. Um, traditionally, in churches, um, imagery, both in like the form of like mural and stained glass windows, was for to accomplish this role of making um, theology known. Like, so, so the things that the Bible teaches, the things that the church believes, the creeds and stuff, mm-hmm. um, people were illiterate. They couldn't read. Yeah. So, the, so the way that the churches would seek to reveal these things was through imagery, mm-hmm. um, which is what God is doing with us all the time. Mm-hmm. We're sometimes spiritually illiterate. And we need this smack in the face from creation, like Paul says, so that we can be without excuse, right? So on top of this kind of Sinai face-to-face relationship interaction, there's also the fact that we're right in the heart of a living testimony of God's creative power, which is also an aid to us understanding him hearing him speak. So for this next part, um, just in this place of wonder before we leave it, um, I'd like for us to do an exercise, okay? I would like us to each take some time alone and use your God-given gift of observation outside. And allow God to speak to you. And when I say speak to you, I'm not saying that the trees are going to talk to you or anything, but to reveal his ways, which is what him speaking is, revealing his ways, um, through creation, okay? So let's just go outside. And honestly, it's a very simple application, but I think like if we're just, if we keep our hearts in this position of wonder, um, And walk around, observe, quiet your minds, quiet your spirits, and let God speak to you, and we'll come back and talk about it, okay? So maybe the next 10 minutes. Okay, guys, let's hear about what what happened. What happened out there in the wild? I was reminded that God is much bigger than just about anything I think. Uh, Yeah, wonderful truth. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah. To add to that, sometimes when I have that revelation, it makes the fact that God steps into my problems yeah. that, that much was, more that was, insane, it, right? It was very, yeah, another thing. So cool. What, okay, I have a question with that. Let's, yeah. see if we can, if, let's see if we can connect some dots. What did I do with my markers now? Okay. How do you think that revelation could kind of maybe play into that goal?
Yeah, God's bigger, but like, I don't even know if I have like a, a like an agenda, but I felt like, okay, God's beautiful bigness. I'll just write bigness. Um, if we're if our goal is like, let's see if we can go here. If our goal is momentary attention, so if we're trying to like, um, be like God, I just want to notice you in everything. I just want to like notice you more and more and hear your voice more and more. I feel like cultivating like wonder through creation could actually help us doing that, right? Yeah. Because we can be like, actually, Jesus did this. Um, in a verse, he says. Um, um, Oh, I'm being recorded, and I can't remember anything. Um, basically, he's talking about the sparrow, right? That God takes care of the sparrow. And, um, oh, somebody get it. He, makes, he made a whole song about it. Uh, it's Jaira. It's, it's, if, if he cares for the sparrow, how much more does he love you? If he, yes. If he trusts the lilies, you that's from, care That's something from that, old, that our old JC said once. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. All right. 
babies out I mean, there's plenty of babies out there in the world, but there's yeah. no baby like yeah. in the black community. Oh, that's so good. That's like such a beautiful revelation about your position with God through observing his creation. You saw the set-apart nature of those pine cones, that each one was different. And the Lord spoke to you and said that um, there's no one like you. It's so sweet. It's so good. Um, wow. <clears throat> I think sometimes we can get used to um, moments like that. Like we hear people like, but like, I mean, think about it for a second, like just zoom out, like just kind of dismiss the fact that like we hear about like God speaking through creation all the time or um, other people's testimonies. It just There was legit identity and like encounter and truth about God that was just discovered or rediscovered mm-hmm. in this moment. Like it was a miracle. It's a legit miracle. And there's a new glory now from that revelation than there was before that, that you get to have. Um, that we all get to have. Um, what about you, Graham? Uh, well, like outside, uh, like the first thing I see is like a pine cone. I'm like, whoa, pine cones are cool. Because like I see pine cones all the time. I think much about them. Like, pine cones are really cool looking. And then I see an acorn. It's all like, like black and gold. And I'm like, whoa, acorns are cool. <laughs> and so and then God's kind of like, um, like my word is like, like a seed, like an acorn or like a pine cone, and they're both like full of seeds, and they got like a hard shell around them. And like uh, squirrels will eat acorns, or like open up pine cones and get uh, uh, pine nuts. Mm-hmm. And then those things, when they're just left, they'll like make a tree. And so I was kind of thinking about how God's word will like once you dig into it, get past like the hard shell, like will produce uh, a tree or food for a squirrel or something like that where it grows into something great. Oh, that's so good. Life. Life from his word. Dude, I love that so much. That reminds me of, um, you know, we've all heard, you know, I think it's in Proverbs or or in Jeremiah, actually. The tree planted by the water. In Jeremiah, um, how there's like flourishing at his, uh, huh? There's a lot of uh, tree imagery, but my point in bringing that up is that um, it's really cool how when God speaks, He speaks the same kind of stuff because He's the same God. Um, so, as somebody who has read a lot of Scripture, and I'm sure you have too, and I hear it's like God told me this. I, I would seriously have a hard time doubting that that was God because it's like right in line with what he's revealed already in scripture, yeah. right? Um, so God will never contradict what he's spoken in scripture. You know, he's always the same. Um, <clears throat> so let me ask you some more questions. Um, does this challenge any ideas that you might have about God's character? Do you think this is kind of rearranging any understanding or is it, or is it reaffirming understanding that you already have? I think it's not reaffirming anything. I think, if anything, it just makes me more in awe. Mm. Yeah. Um, how do you think 
some of the topics that we talked about might go into that. I would love to make some more connections with this, okay? So we're looking at discernment. So we've talked through wonder and creation and, and uh, clarity. How do you think we can discover some discernment through, um, well, maybe I won't ask that because I don't have a landing point for that. No, that's okay. We won't do that. Um, I just want to, I want us to be mindful of like these goals that we put out so that when we're talking about things, we can see if we can like feed those into that and, and, and answer them. Um, okay. I think you've already given us like the, the first point was like we want to hear, we want to be more able to hear God's voice. Yeah. Yeah. And just recognizing that, that creation is a valid way to see and hear God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good way. That's a good, like, s- summary from what we've been talking about. Like, ugh, we're all over the place here. But I like what you said, CJ. Creation is a valid uh, way to hear God, as we've just experienced. And to bring it back to what we were talking about, everything that we just talked about, your, your testimonies from what just happened, clarified a truth that existed before you had that moment, right? Yeah. There's a truth about his nature. There's a truth about our nature. There's a truth about his word that the, the, the little dial on the camera that's like looking at, at God that might have been blurry or misunderstood or forgotten right, was turned and the focus came um, and our relationship and our standing with him has been clarified. So God is doing the same thing that he did with, with Moses when he was on Sinai speaking with him face to face and giving him the Ten Commandments, right? It was about establishing a, um, a dynamic of relationship unto life, unto flourishing, right? All these Ten Commandments that, um, that were given were for the goal of a flourishing community, of a godly, image-bearing community, a kingdom of priests. Um, so it's just so cool, like, how we're looking at creation, how, again, you see how it goes back to clarity. You see how it goes back to um, making this relationship more understood that we have, um, and just how it contrasts any other thing that, we, um, that the, the ancient world might have understood, um, or what we might understood even in our our age of input, right? Um, so I think we'll end there. We'll just talk about how creation is a way that God clarifies himself. Um, we see that in that verse in Romans, that we are without excuse. So I'll leave you guys with that. I think that's enough for you guys to chew on for a little bit.